Well, I want to tell you about a really neat man. His name is Bob Goff. And Bob Goff graduated from high school, and Bob thought he was going to be a forest ranger. And he thought that was a great idea, so he goes to forest ranger school. But he found out at forest ranger there was no women there. There's no women in the dorms. It was a real bummer. So he's out in the woods and the fields, and he thought he was going to be saving the earth. And he found out that his main job was going to be giving parking tickets and busting high school kids who drank beer in state parks. And so he said, I don't want to be a park ranger. This isn't a good idea. And so Bob Goff says, I'm going to go to law school. And he read somewhere that you got to take this test called the LSAT. So he bought a book for $7.95, a little paperback book to study for the LSAT. So he gets ready for the test. He goes to take the test. He gets there 20 minutes early, and he begins to realize that there's people in the room that are really prepared. They didn't have a $7.95 little paperback. It was like a whole course. They'd had like, like U-Hauls full of books, and he realized, I'm in real trouble. So he takes the LSAT. He doesn't do poorly. He like did worse than anybody's ever done in the history of the test. He, it, it wasn't you know, pitiful. It was like he, he was a train wreck. So he applies to all these different law schools all over the country. He lived in California, and he didn't get accepted to a single law school. Not one school said he could be accepted. Well, some of the schools, didn't, he said, didn't even send him back a rejection letter. They just didn't even respond. And a couple schools sent his check back. They felt so poorly about his LSAT test, they wouldn't even take his money. But he was undaunted by that, and he said, I want to go to Pepperdine. I want to go to Pepperdine Law School. And so Bob Goff goes to Pepperdine 14 days before law school started. He didn't have an appointment with the dean, but he got in the dean's office somehow, and he told the dean, I'm Bob Goff, and I want to go to your law school, and I didn't get a rejection letter, so that must mean I'm going to be accepted into your law school. The dean said, son, I'm sorry, but he looked at his scores. He said, son, there were a lot of people who scored a lot higher than you, and they didn't get accepted into our law school. You don't have a snowball's chance in Hades getting into this law school. And the young man said, Sir, all you've got to say is, go buy your books, and I'm in. Good day, Mr. Goff, said the dean. Well, the next day, Bob Goff decided that it was day 13 before the law school started. He decided he could sit on the bench and wait for the dean to come by. And sure enough, he's on a bench outside of the uh, dean's office. The dean comes walking in that morning with his suit on, his nice ties, wingtip shoes. Sir, all you've got to say is go buy my books. I'll go buy the books, and I'll be in your law school. Good day, Mr. Goff. The dean walked into his office. The dean left that day. Bob Goff is still sitting there on that bench. All you've got to say is go buy your books, sir. All you've got to say is, and I'm in. I'll go buy my books, and I'll come to your law school. Day 12, day 11, day 10, day 9, day, day, day. Day 5, the dean comes over to him and says, young man, why are you still here? You scored pitifully on the LSAT. You're not going to get into law school. I suggest you go home and figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Bob Goff does this all the way up to when law school started. Day one, law school starts. He keeps asking the dean, sir, all you got to say is go buy your books, and I'm in. The dean said, go home. Day two, law school started. Day three, law school started. Day four, law school started. Day five, the dean walks over to him, winks at him, and says, young man, go buy your books. And Bob Goff went to Pepperdine Law School. 
and he graduated, and he got a law degree, and he actually, believe it or not, passed the bar on his first time, and to this day, today, he is a law professor at Pepperdine Law School. It's an amazing story. It's truly an amazing story. Now, why I like that story is the dean only had so many openings. He only had so many slots that were available. Contrast that to God. There are no closed enrollment in God's family. God doesn't have only so many scholarships. God doesn't have only so many open spaces. God's enrollment is large. And in our story today, we're going to talk about God's glory. And the glory of God is about people fulfilling the role and the purpose that God has for their life. And the glory of God is that God's kingdom gets bigger and bigger and larger and larger, and more people can get in and more people qualify. And so I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about the glory of God. We're going to end up in a few minutes in John chapter 17. So if you want to find John chapter 17, that's what we're going to study this morning, and we'll be there in about five or six minutes. But this glory of God, we talk about it, and we hear scriptures about it, but I'm not really sure we understand it. And even if we did understand it, how does that help me with my daily life? How does that help me to earn an income? How does that help me to raise kids? If I understand the glory of God, where do I fit in this? And so throughout the New Testament, we see little seeds of the glory of God. Who sinned? This man or his parents, they asked the blind, the story of the blind man in John 9. And Jesus said, nobody sinned, but this happened so that God might receive some amazing glory. We see other stories in the New Testament where Jesus said about Lazarus, this sickness will not end in death, but it will result in God getting amazing glory. We see the story about the transfiguration where Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he basically unzips himself. And when he unzips himself, the Shekinah glory of God comes out of Jesus, and they all saw Jesus' glory. But I don't know that anybody really understood it. And in our story today, in our passage of Scripture today, there's a short-term plan for glory, and there's a long-term plan for glory. And guess what? You're in the long-term plan. This is why this is important this morning. There is a short-term plan to glory, there is a long-term plan to glory, and you and I are in this amazing long-term plan of glory. And so we're going to talk about this for a couple of minutes today. And Jesus gives us direction. Now, George Barna says that at any given day of the week, in America, there's only 300 million Americans, he says there's 70 million Americans who lack direction. And George Barnett will talk about that's why we medicate and we over-medicate. And he talks about that's why our suicide rates continue to inch up a little higher and a little higher and a little higher each, each and every year because we lack direction. What I like about the glory of God is God's glory, and you're in the story, will actually give you direction and purpose for every single day of your life. Now, without direction, we end up chasing things. And we end up with a false sense of security because we all have a need for security. And each and every one of us are trying to find security in life. 
It's one of our basic needs, and so we want security. But if we don't have the right foundation, we will have a false security based on chasing the things of this world that don't ultimately bring us satisfaction. And that leaves us very vulnerable. It's kind of like this first picture I want to show you. There's a false sense of security right here with this poor frog, isn't there? See, that frog thinks he's good. That frog thinks everything is good in life. But, but honestly, is that frog in trouble? Well, it depends on whether or not the alligator's hungry. He probably is. And so we begin to chase things. We chase money. We chase relationships. We chase kids. We chase education. We chase beauty. We chase strength. Uh, in our vocations, and in and of itself, none of those things are wrong. Those are all things that we're supposed to be doing. But let's talk about some of those for just a second. If you chase money, there's 50 different things that can happen to your money. There's 50 different ways that you can lose your money. There's 50 different ways that you can part from your money. If you chase money, you will never have enough to secure yourself from every possible thing that could ever happen. The Bible talks about how money is like it, it, it sprouts wings and it can float away. And by the way, eventually you're going to die. And then who will get the money that you've worked so hard for? Had a great funeral yesterday. Five or 600 people were here. We celebrated Bob's Craig's life. And we didn't talk about what he did at all because nobody cares what he did. Nobody really cares that he was a produce manager at Publix. We, we had an incredible funeral yesterday. And I thought about this. I didn't hear one comment about his work. Nobody cares, but they cared about his life and his character and how he was a shepherd, how he did prison ministry, and they just cared about the things that were valuable. So if you chase money, you're going to have this false sense of security. Even some people chase, you know, relationships. Now, should you have a good marriage if you're married? Well, yeah, you should. But if you, if you put all your eggs in that marriage basket, there's 25 different things that can go wrong with your marriage. But let's say you make it to 50 years and you're married for 50 years. Well, even there, one of you is going to die first. I see people that chase their kids. They build their whole lives around their kids. But eventually those kids are going to go to the military or they're going to go to college or they're going to get a job or they're going to take a job in another state and they eventually then move out. You chase beauty beauty is fleeting. You chase strength or or exercise. There's a limit to that. Your vocation, you can have a little bit of power for a little bit of time in your life. And so Jesus is trying to heighten our our vision. That's why this next picture, I want to show you this next picture, talks about you try to create your own future. And you've heard this all your life, and I've heard this all my life, how we're, we're supposed to create our own future. And there's something to that. We have to work hard to create our futures. Every time I've tried to do this in church world, in the ministry, every time I've tried to lead the church somewhere and then ask God to bless it or ask God to bail me out, it didn't work out too good. About 15 years ago, I figured out, you know what? What if I actually understood what God wanted me to do first? What if I actually got dialed into God's program first rather than I just kind of blowing and going and, and then asking God to bail me out? It's made every difference in the world you can only imagine. So, so you chase these things, it creates these false sense of securities. And so what Jesus does in this amazing passage of Scripture, and by the way, I think this is the greatest prayer in the entire Bible. 
We talk about the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is what we're most familiar with. But I think the, the power of this prayer is far more potent than even the Lord's Prayer because it talks all about the amazing glory of God. And so Jesus has a plan for ultimate security, and he invites you to play. He invites you to be a part of this. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be gifted. You don't have to get a scholarship. There's not only so many slips. Everybody can get into this amazing kingdom of God. And what I love about this is is it's a plan. And in John chapter 17, Jesus reveals a plan that you and I get to be a part of. Now, we all like it when a plan works, don't we? We all love that. You've you've planned this family vacation, and of course, no family vacation ever works according to plan, does it? But you plan a family vacation, and most of the things work out. Or are you having folks over for dinner, and you try a new recipe, and I don't know why women do this. It drives me, it makes me nervous, but we have people over for dinner. Danielle will try something new that she's never tried before. Well, how do you know it's going to work? Well, I don't. We'll try something that we know works. So we try something new and it works. We like that. Or you're hiring somebody. There's a new hire. And you hire someone and and it works out really, really well. We love that. Or what about an investment? You have a little bit of money and so you say, okay, I'm going to try to do this investment. You look at different things. I'm not going to buy Exxon. I'm not going to buy Apple. I'm not going to buy Google. But you know what? Maybe Caterpillar's got a good price earning ratio. I'm not a financial planner. I'm just using a story. Don't go buy Caterpillar tomorrow. I'm just making up a story as we go along. But, 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 and, it, and it works. We, we, we all love that when it works. Here's a plan about God's glory that you and I get to be a part of. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 17, and we'll see some of this in John chapter 17, because John 17 is about Jesus fulfilling the glory of God, and he gives us the opportunity for us to do our part, and if we don't do our part, we become a little bit careless, and when you and I become careless, dangerous things begin to happen, don't they? That's a big shark, isn't it? That's a really big shark. All right, so Jesus, he is headed to the garden. John chapter 17, he's headed to the garden. Now, what's cool about this is we don't know if he prays this in the upper room. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John, it's called the upper room discourse. Does Jesus pray this prayer on the way to the garden? Does Jesus pray this prayer in the garden? Is this prayer prayed five minutes before he is arrested? We're not really sure. But this is one of the very last things that Jesus ever says or ever does before he's arrested. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Here's Jesus praying for himself. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Drop down to verse five. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence. You see, I think when we read these words glory, we think about cool things, but we don't think about how it applies to us. And we're not really sure that we're a part of the glory picture. And so right off the bat, Jesus is praying for himself. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then Jesus begins to pray for his disciples because he knew that everything was going to hinge on the disciples taking his message to the entire world. So John chapter 17 now, look at the next part, verse 9. Now he's praying for the, for the disciples. I pray for them. And I'm not praying for the world, 
but for those that you've given me, for they are yours. Drop down to verse 13. I'm coming to you now. I'm telling you, folks, in in just a few minutes from this prayer, he is arrested. At At this juncture, he's going to have an illegal trial that Thursday night all night long. The next morning, early in the morning, he's going to be flogged. He will be stripped. A crown of thorns will be placed on his head, a purple robe. He will be spit upon. This is just moments before everything happens. I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Drop down to verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. In other words, set them apart. Give them the truth. Give them my message. Give them my material. Sanctify them by the truth because, Lord, your word is truth. Now he prays for the future. He prays for you and me. He prays for your kids. He prays for your grandkids. He prays for for people in your family who haven't even been born yet. This is an incredible strategy by Jesus in praying for people who aren't even born yet. John chapter 17, verse 20. And my prayer is not for them, the disciples alone, but I pray also for those who will, future tense, who will believe in me through their message. This is a cool prayer, folks. Look at verse 21. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Drop down to verse 23. I in them and you in me so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And verse 24. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Now, here's where I want us to really pay attention. Don't drift off. Don't think about what you're doing the rest of the day. This is, all, this is driving to this whole point. You see, without the glory of God, all this is worthless, Jesus going to the cross, Jesus dying. Without the glory of God, this is just another wannabe Messiah. This is just another knockoff Savior. This is just another wannabe Messiah. Without the glory of God, none of this really works. And so what is the glory of God? This is what separates Christianity from everybody else. Christianity is not based on teachings Christianity is not based on beliefs. Christianity is not based on feelings. Christianity is not based on these wonderful emotions. Christianity is not based on one author and just one or two witnesses. Christianity rises and falls on at least four different events. And these events all encapsulate the glory of God. And I I want you to see that this morning. So if if you're a note taker, there's a place for you to write these in your bulletin. But here are four different components this morning about the glory of God. So the first of all, the glory of God is the incarnation. It's God becoming a man. The incarnation of deity. This is an event. It's not a feeling. It's not a teaching. It's not a belief. It's not an emotion. It wasn't just captured by one person or by one author. Isaiah said, behold, the virgin will be with child and she will give birth and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God is going to be with us. 
So the first event of glory is called the incarnation. The second event is the crucifixion. The crucifixion of this Messiah. God was going to die on a cross. Isaiah 53 talks about how he took our place. Isaiah 53 talks about how he died for you and he died for me. These are glory events. Number three was the resurrection. This is the big one. If Jesus didn't come up from the grave, if he, didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead, then all this is pretty much superfluous, isn't it? But Jesus said, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the fourth event of the glory of God is the ascension. And for 40 days, for 40 days, Jesus Christ made post-resurrection appearances. Now, this separates Christianity from everything else, from everybody else, from every other faith. It's not based on just some good teachings. It's not based on just some beliefs. It's not based on just some some warm, fuzzy emotions. Christianity is based on the glory of God through four incredible, spectacular events. And so how does that apply to us today? Where, Where does this come to us? Well, there's about three different stages. Number one are these four components about these these glory events, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension. Stage three, that's stage one. Stage three is called the second coming of Christ. This is what's so cool about the Bible. The whole entire Old Testament says that the Messiah is coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say the Messiah is here. And from Acts through Revelation, over 300 references say that Jesus is coming again. That's stage three. But stage two is where we are today. And stage two is called the church age. And you and I live today in what's known as the church age. And so here's what Jesus prayed for you and me during the church age, John 17, verse 2. Jesus said this, For you grant him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those that you've given to him. Now, this is what Jesus is doing today. He is granting membership. He is granting open membership, and people are enrolling in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 3, John 17, 3. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, this is what's amazing about the kingdom of God. This is what's so spectacular about God's glory. People get in the kingdom of God that you would never dream. People that you would think shouldn't be in the kingdom of God, those are the people who get in the kingdom of God. Isn't that most of us in this room today? You think about how we've come to Christ and we've got our laundry list of sins, we've got our own sin, we've got our own selfishness, and yet we get to get in the kingdom of God. Now, what I love about the Bob Goff story is not only did that dean of that law school wink at him and say, go buy your books, but now as a law professor at Pepperdine University, every once in a while, Bob Goff says, I will come up to a student who didn't get in. And I will wink at him or I will wink at her and I will say, go buy your books. And the kid gets in. But there's no closed enrollment in the kingdom of God. So how do you get in? What is eternal life? It's knowing God. And it's knowing Jesus Christ. I think that's why you're here this morning. 
I think that's why you're here. You're pursuing a relationship with God, and you are then fulfilling the glory of God, which is his kingdom that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and more people and more people and more people and more people get in. John 17, 3. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so how do you get into this kingdom of God? It starts with a choice. I choose to believe. I choose to believe those incredible events. I believe that God became man. I believe that that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I believe he ascended into heaven and he's at the right hand of God the Father today, interceding on my amazing behalf. And so it starts with a choice. I choose I choose to believe. I choose to turn my life to God. I choose to repent, which is a change of mind, change your behavior. Change your mind, change your behavior. I choose to acknowledge God. I choose to walk with God. I choose to grow with God. I choose to read the Bible. I choose to have a time of prayer. I choose to get up early in the morning and come at 8 o'clock in the morning to a worship service. People are asking me, how are the three services going? I say, you know what? The people at 8 o'clock, they're, they're alert. People at 9.30, they're dragging in. It's funny. It's funny. You guys are alert, wake. You're, you're obviously morning people, or somebody's paid you off to be here. I don't know which it is. But either way, you're here. I'm glad. I'm glad you're here. It's a choice. It comes back to a choice to lean in and to walk in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And so that's you and me fulfilling a component or a piece of the glory of God. So what do we do today? What do we do? Well, there's two things I want to mention to you real quickly. Number one, you share your, look at the next last slide. This is the church age. It's your time. It's your time to secure your future. And I want to start with that just for briefly. It is your time to secure your future. If you're building your future on chasing all the things of this world to make you feel better, to make you look better, to make you act better, you're, you're, on, you're chasing the wrong thing. You're chasing the wrong thing. If you're, if you're chasing the things of this world to help you fulfill some of the holes in your heart, you're going to have bigger holes, and the holes are going to be there the rest of your life. You know that. You're smart enough to already figure that out. You've seen enough people in your life chase money, chase this, chase. You've seen that already in your life. You're smarter than that. So we know that. So this is your time to secure your future. How do you do that? This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So you pursue your relationship with Christ. But secondly, it's also your time to share Jesus. It's your time to share him. It's your time to invite people to church. It's your time to just sow good seeds. It's your time to invite your family. It's your time to to mention to to your friends. It's your time to ask permission to your friends. Can I tell you why I go to church? I want to ask permission. Can I tell you why I believe? I I want you to know there are four major events or why I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus fulfilled all four of those with the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension. And I believe he's coming back again. And so it's your time. It's your time to secure your future, and it's your time to share Jesus. And so in every one of these worship services like this, we give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ. And so I'm going to call for the prayer partners in just for a minute. 
and they're going to come down front, and maybe you would like to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe, maybe there are people in your family and in your neighborhood and in your work that you're trying to figure out, how do I share my values? How do I share Jesus Christ with? And maybe you would like special prayer for that as well. So I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down. I'm going to ask you to stand up and stand with me. And we're so glad you're here today. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity today for you to secure your future, for you to secure your eternal life with him because of who he is and what he's done for you. And maybe today you'd like for special prayer about people in your family that you're trying to figure out, how do I share Jesus with them? How do I share these values with them? Maybe you'd like special prayer today as well. Well, Let me pray for us and then we'll be dismissed this morning. So glad you're here. So glad you're here. Our Heavenly Father, this glory of God is big. It's really big. It's hard for us to get our hands around it. But we recognize that we're in the plan. First of all, you want us to be enrolled in your kingdom, which brings you amazing glory because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But it's also our time now in the church age to share this glory message with all these people that we come into contact with. Help us to keep this great news, not to ourselves, but to get it out and to share it with other people. We love you deeply and dearly today. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.